This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. In this episode, I'm on the road in San Francisco attending the Zenex conference, and I have the wonderful privilege of having Peachy Canyon with me today. And I have Jake Beckett, the Director of Sales and Marketing, Josh Beckett, the Director of Production, and Robert Henson, winemaker from Peachy Canyon, located in Paso Robles. I say Paso Robles, they say Paso Robles, potato, potato. It's a pleasure to have you here today, gentlemen. Thank you actually for making time out of the conference to come and talk to me. So, um, Peachy Canyon. I was not familiar with Peachy Canyon until I attended this conference. And I have to say, the wines are fantastic. I really feel like I've discovered something special. Can you kind of walk me through maybe a little bit of the history of the brand? Sure. I think I can field that. This is Jake Beckett speaking to you guys. Peachy Canyon, well, we've been around for 32 years. Uh, the history of the brand itself starts in 1988, but the history of the winemaking starts in the early 80s. My parents moved to Paso Robles, brought my brother and I up there in 1982, and shortly after coming to Paso, met some local uh, home winemakers, Garagist, they're called these days. Yeah. But um, And my, my dad fell in love with, with making wine with these guys and gals. And uh, he thought it might be a good idea to sell the wine. And the people that were making the wine at the time were more interested in just uh, farming grapes and having some wine to hang out with their friends and and enjoy uh, consuming and and sharing and whatnot. And so they said, no thanks, we have no interest in that. And uh, in 1988, my dad launched Peachy Canyon along with my my mom. And uh, Zinfandel was the first varietal that they got their hands on. They were able to get a ton of Zinfandel from a man named Benito Ducey, who's no oh, longer yeah. with us. Well, Ducey Ranch? Old school farmer from the famous wow. Ducey Ranch, which yeah. was a family had been farming in, in the area for a long time. They got a ton of Zin and made a little bit of Zin. Within about two years, my dad was selling it COD out of his truck driving around California, delivering Zen, and uh, picking up checks and bringing it home. The birth of Peachy Canyon. How, how many cases came out of that first ton? Probably about 150 cases. Okay. Yeah, about a ton of Zen. That is so, you know, give it's, or bordering, take. it's bordering on a hobby at that point. Full-on hobby, yeah. But he thought that there, there's something here. At that point, 70% of all the fruit was being sold from Paso, and 30% was being made... Uh, at wineries like Pizzeni and Eberly and Justin. And so just a handful of locals right. were, were doing right, some right. Uh, small stuff. And my dad and mom liked it and, and enjoyed the industry and thought that that there might be something there for us. And that's so, early 80s, mid-80s? 88. 88. 1988. So really, Paso was just starting to come online. Yeah, there was right about, about that time. maybe nine wineries at yeah, the time. Not a lot of not a lot of people making wine in Paso yet. No. Right? But, you know, there was a lot of grapes being grown in Paso. I Absolutely. remember as a kid, just coming over the pass from Central Coast. Yeah, you know, that... From the Central Valley into the Central Coast, there was... Yeah, there were vineyards. At that point, it had started to shift from a, a town full of nuts to a town full of fruits, as we said. <laughs> okay, we should probably explain that it was known for almonds, I believe. Almonds and walnuts, primarily almonds, but a lot of walnuts also. And when the valley really took to propagating walnut and almond trees, uh, the price per pound went down. And since Paso Robles was, uh, had built their nut infrastructure on dry farm, 
walnuts and almonds and couldn't get the same yield when the when the cost per pound went down it it pretty yeah. much overnight put town they, out of business they were yeah, ripping up orchards and putting in vineyards yeah and and vineyards quickly started to replace the uh the nut orchards and, and what was being planted at that time i mean was zinfandel an early adopter to paso or did zinfandel come along a little later i'm, I'm not familiar with the history of zinfandel in in paso anybody want to field that yeah it came in the in the late 1800s um, when it first got planted there, just like it got planted everywhere in California during that time. Um, but Paderewski was the one that really, really kind of put the focus on Paso and growing in Paso. He wasn't the first, but he was the first one to really kind of promote us outside the region. In Zinfandel. In Zinfandel. What else is being grown there these days? You know, it predominantly was always, it was always Cab and Zin for, for the longest time. And then more recently, the Rhone movement or Syrah and Grenache and, and Mervedra is really... Starting to take it's off doing, there. It does really well there, yeah. So Peachy Canyon, are you guys strictly making just Zins, or are you making other styles of wine? We do, we do grow, uh, we do grow Bordeaux grapes and Rhone grapes, and so we make all we make a little bit of everything. Probably half of the skews we have are Zinfandel, but it's eighty-five percent of our volume. Okay, so when you say skews, that means retail, what you're selling retail. Yeah, different bottlings or different bottles. We have a tendency to kind of geek out a little bit sure. in this podcast, and a lot of people, when we, we talk about skews or, you know, patinage, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so we have to explain that kind of stuff. So I understand you've also got a heritage project going on at Peachy. What's, what's that all about? Jake and I, about 10, I think it was like 10 years ago, was Zap started a heritage project a long time ago. And, they and Zap is Zinfandel Advocates and Producers, yeah. which actually produces the conference we're at right now, yes. the Zinex. Yes. Correct. Right. Correct. So, so they, uh, Zap and UC Davis had been working on their heritage project at the Oakville station for a long time, which essentially is they went around to all the old fine vineyards they could find in the state of California that were being threatened to rip out for housing tracks or whatnot, you know, their infrastructure, collected wood from everything and wanted to try to find out if there was unique differences in all the Zinfandel throughout the state or if they were all the same clone of Zin or if there was any DNA difference in the Zin that's planted throughout. Took, you know, the number changes all the time. I thought it was 200 vineyards, 120 vineyards, whatever, and took all those and did DNA testing on all the wood and were able to find out that there were 17 different clones or different genetic makeup of those cuttings that they of found. The, of Zinfandel. Uh, Zinfandel. So is the Heritage Project only Zinfandel? Yes. Okay. Interesting. And it's interesting that the Oakville station would be running that project. Yeah. I would have right. kind of thought it would have been done back at UC Davis itself. No, it was the Oakville, the vineyard was, and then because they did that with Mike Anderson and Dr. Wolpart. Okay. And then when, so to make a long story short, they're making wine off the Oakville station, trying to see if the uniquenesses of the, each of the different clones, you know, cane thickness, cane weight, berry size, skin thickness, color of the wine. But they, after a couple of years of doing that and making a heritage wine, they realized, like, we need to see how these clones differentiate in other parts of the state. So if the nurseries ever sell them to farmers, they can say, oh, this, you know, FPS 25, this particular clone did really well in Paso. This other one did really well in Lytton Springs. So Which re- is up near Geyserville. Right. In, yeah, different part of the state. So then the op- this is when the opportunity presented itself. They asked which wineries would like to, at the wineries cost, take on this project. 
and plant all of these clones in different areas. So Peachy Canyon, Ravenswood with Joel and Paul Draper at Ridge threw our hats in the ring and said, we'll all, we all offered up an acre of land where we took those cuttings and we all planted it to see how they would do in different parts of the state. So will you have all of those cuttings? All, yes. All the different clones? All of them, yeah. And are, so you've donated, donated it, I don't know. Right. Just, you've set aside yes. an acre of your land to plant these yeah. different clonal varieties. And not being a botanist, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a really good drinker. Do Is there any way that these clonal varieties can cross Breed. I'm not sure that I'm using the right term. Or do they only get to be a, a particular clone by grafting onto the rootstock? Yes. Yeah. So they get to become a particular clone by grafting, but okay. um, but they also have all became their unique clone as Zinfandel, growing where they where they grew all over the state of California. At what we have planted there, those those 18 different clones are uniquely different. Okay, and, and, will, and they and will remain unique. And they'll remain unique. They stay different. different. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And have you all found that there's a particular clone or several different clones that are doing pretty well right now in your yeah, one-acre experimental? We found a couple we like. The difficulty is we only have a one-acre block, and we make and we pick it all together. So it's Zero. hard. It's hard to really, other than the, other than the watching the growing and looking looking at all the things Josh was talking about. Um, it's really hard to determine which one's best other than just looking at the fruit. Okay. Since then, we have propagated all those clones into a larger block so we could start analyzing. And making a wine making off a wine individual off. clone. Okay. We, we said, we got to take this a step further. This one acre is not enough. Right. So we took almost four acres and made, so we have rows of each one instead of individual plants. Okay. And have you harvest yet with... Any of those rows? This yes. last harvest in 2019 was the first harvest off the new planting where we can actually make a significant separate. So you can now send in the clones. Yeah, yeah. send in the clones. <laughs> Very cool. And other than looking at the fruit and trying to figure out which clone you want to use, I assume that there was some methodology that you said, all right, let's right, we're going to try clone FP27. And well, we didn't. We'd, like Robert said, it was such a small amount. We did all of them. We just oh, said, did all we did all of them again. Now we, we have four two, acres. Now we have yeah. two to three rows of all 18 clones. Yeah. Side wow. By side. And, okay. And, That's and pretty the, cool. Yeah. And the original project, which, which was also followed by the other, the other people who did the same, the same experiment was we all use the same rootstock. All the plants are planted in a random kind of scientific order. So every clone has an equal shot at the right slope or aspect or, right. or sunlight or whatever. So we didn't, our clones aren't grouped in in 18 different spots on that one acre. They're completely random. So the whole thing, because soil can vary within an acre really right, easy. Of so, yeah. so picking them separate is a nightmare. So there's, you want micro there's over a thousand vines. Each has a plastic tag that indicates which clone it is. Wow. Yeah. And so it just looks like a rainbow. <laughs> the first acre that we planted with these 18. You said you picked them together. Mm-hmm. And did you make co-ferment them? Mm-hmm. How did it turn out? It's in your glass. Oh, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I love you guys. This is going to be awesome. Looking forward to this. It's a whole big whopping 50 cases we can make off of that acre. Which is also really cool because yeah. it is what it is. That's yeah. all we'll ever so get. low yield. Yeah. We'll get 50 to 100 cases and, that, and whatever that acre produces is what we do for this mm-hmm. bottling. And it makes for a really special wine because you have 
so much variation in the different clones because some are riper than others some are bigger berry thicker skin than others so you yeah. have a, it's a unique and and the interesting thing is you know we planted an equal number of each of these clones uh-huh. but that's not they all don't yield the same right so and and you have vine, and you have some vine losses so it's not that it has an 18th of each it's no. so this wine right. is even though it has all 18 clones is unique to our site Oh, wow. And how was, was there any challenge you faced as a winemaker, Robert, that you kind of, with this block, any different than any other part of the vineyard? You know, it's, it's um, we, we don't get very much off it because it's only a one acre. It's what, the smallest lot that we bring in. And how, like, what, two and a half, three tons? What, uh, one and a half, two. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it's really, okay. Yeah. I think the first couple of years we got just over a ton. Okay. But we got uh, close to two this year, I think. Do you, do so, 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 so fermentation is I do fermentation in barrels in punchins in large format barrels okay. or like 130 gallon barrels and mostly that's because it's such a small lot I, I like to maintain the, the right fermentation kinetics I guess mm-hmm. and, and not you know being able to still ferment like I would in the, in the tank or a bigger vessel Right. So to illustrate for a listener, when yeah. he says he ferments them in punchins, so imagine a barrel turned on its side, and then we pop the head out of the barrel, one side, and so it's basically a, a vat. We create right. a tank out right. of a barrel. Yeah. It's a, it's but a it, larger... But, it's, but it's, made it, it's made it fun and challenging, you know? You guys, just, I know I'm going to geek out here in a minute, but are we doing uh, natural yeast while... I do a little bit of both. I do a little this? bit of both, yeah. All right. Are you treating this block, no. this acre, differently no. than maybe other than it's off? It's off no. over there no. in, the, in the corner. This, no. uh, this is exciting. I mean, we really do different. we do a couple things growing wise that we try to protect it. Um, it's one of the few blocks that we still we still put bird netting on. Okay. You know, it's just it's too. It, yeah. We, we do baby it a little bit. Okay. All right. And where is Peachy Canyon located in in Paso? Is it on the east side, west side? We're in the north. Well, we're all over. We're fortunate enough to be five estate vineyards. Really? And all on the west side of Paso. We have, let's see, three vineyards in the Adelaide District, one vineyard in the Willow Creek District, and one in the Templeton Gap, which is where our tasting room is. Our winery is in the Adelaide District, and our tasting room is in the Templeton Gap. And then we have uh, three other ranches. So, um, and I should probably explain... In Paso, we kind of talk about east side, west side as to where it falls on the on the range. You know, the west side being closer to the ocean gets a little bit uh, more of a maritime influence, a little bit more rain. Where the east side, the rain shadow effect, they get a little bit less rain and it's a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're all on the- And now we've divided that up into 11 sub-AVAs. Of course we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're we uh, we're in some really what we think are, are great spots to grow the types of grapes that we want to to uh, grow to get the types of wines we want to make. Okay, and what kind of wines do you want to make? Talk about talk, tell me about your style. I want the wine guys talk about that. We definitely, I mean, Robert will definitely go into more <clears throat> on the style, but I think we've all are on the same page. Like uh, we're really into wines that are varietally correct. Wines that, you know, have a lot of expression and that you know you're drinking a Zinfandel or you know you're drinking or and or a blend, but you know the varieties that you can ask that you're, you can recognize. Robert can tell you more, but I think a lot of them, and sense of place as well, like where the wines come from, where the fruit comes from. And so I want to know I'm drinking a Zinfandel from Paso. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we make nine different Zinfandels. Okay. Um, at, 
at minimum a year, we could overwork them and make them all taste the same, or we could let them show their sense of place and let them all showcase where they came from. How many acres of vines do you all have right now? 102 under vine. That's awesome. On five ranches. That's awesome. And you have all, I, it didn't start that way, right? Mom and dad in 1988 didn't, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was the original? Well, range? originally we, we um, <clears throat> brought in fruit. So Benito Doozy, right? We uh, talked about Doozy, and then um, so. But the original farm that my parents purchased was a 24-acre ranch uh, in the back of Peachy Canyon Road, which is where the name comes from. Okay, it was all dry-farmed walnuts, organic walnuts, which we we continued to sell to Seas Candy for several years to make candy bars. It's a candy manufacturer. Yes, um, I love the Seas. We, uh, by the way, big fan of the. Sees dark chocolate. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's rad. The, there's a store right down the street. Just got so. a sample today. Good yeah, example. Just great Valentine's Day gift, everybody. Yeah, after um, the podcast, we're all going <laughs> So we ended up planting 10 acres at that ranch of, of head trained Zinfandel from cuttings that we got from Mr. Doozy. And uh, so we originally started with those 10 acres, sold that farm in 98, 99, right around there. Right. And, um, at that point, had purchased our tasting room, which is on uh, Highway 46 uh, West. Yep. Simultaneously moved uh, into the Mustang Springs Ranch, which is one of our vineyard designate vineyard designated zins, and that's where our winery is. So no, it didn't. It didn't start with 102 acres. It started with none, and then right. 10, and then sold it, and then. Moved into our tasting room property and our our, produ- our newer, larger production facility, which is a, a bigger metal building as opposed to the barn that we're at in Peachy Canyon. And then uh, just in the last couple of years, we brought on one more ranch. Wow. And so it's taken all 30 plus years to, to build, build out so. the five vineyards. And, and we, we started off with with Doug starting the winery and, and making wine. But today, I think with the family, we've turned into farmers. We, we do all our own farming on, on all five of those vineyards. Oh, you have your own vineyard management. You're doing all We are the vineyard management. Josh, wow. Josh, yeah, I'm Josh. looking at them right now, yes. all three of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so we are farmers first, I think. I love that. I love to hear that. You know, coming from an ag community myself, I just uh, think that great winemaking starts always starts in the vineyard and people forget that it's agriculture and you've got to you got to farm mm-hmm. and we're and we're wine grape growers we're growing it for the wine not for right not for farming i guess do you sell any grapes no you're no, using no. it all yourself yes so what's the future of peachy canyon what's next well i mean i'll let josh and jake speak to it but josh and jake left they went off into their own brand about six years ago uh, chronic sellers okay and then uh, that's where that's where I work for the family business because they were off doing chronic and they sold it and last year have just come over and taken over from mom and dad and let mom and dad retire. Finally. So yeah, they were just prodigal sons return. The new <laughs> the new future. We're just yeah we're figuring it out now. We're we're um, you know we know we want to stay focused on Zinfandel. We love making it and we feel fortunate to have a varietal that's synonymous with our name. And so we want to stay in the Zin game. We would, uh, I say obviously to us, but listeners wouldn't know that. We would like to be 100% a state. Like we just mentioned, we don't sell any of our fruit. However, we have purchased fruit over okay. the years. And as we grew the company, we are now at a point 
uh, where we are almost 100% estate. So a big part of the, the, the goal for Peachy Canyon is to be 100% estate, sustainably farmed, keep it in the family, stay focused on Zen, but also uh, have some fun with some of these Bordeaux and Rhones that we're growing. We just uh, create a really cool culture. Like we feel like this is our life and, and our, our team that's working with us, we, we want to let them know like how much we appreciate it. So that's something we talk about regularly. So we've been actually as just a, a company wanting to just be a fun place to be and get everybody involved with all the aspects of the winery. So if you're in the warehouse, you're not just talking warehouse stuff. You're, you're coming out to do tastings with us or helping in the tasting room on a Friday or working in the vineyard or driving a tractor. And if you're in the winery, you're up in the office hanging out with the crew there and seeing what's going on. So really just trying to create this all-inclusive sort of winery utopia that's all a state and um, see if we can make the best wine in town. Well, you know, that's, that's really noble. It sounds to me like you're trying to not just be sustainable in the vineyards, but you're trying to have a sustainable culture. Yes. Which is really cool. Do you have children? Anybody? You guys all of us. All you all have kids. Do you want them to be in the business? You Do you want them to follow in your footsteps? Is it like, you know, you are for your mom? Maybe yeah. if they go away and do something else first for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, maybe if they go away. <laughs> <laughs> they just want them to go away. We want them to know I what, love they, go what a great opportunity this is. I think, yeah. you know, I think it's always... You know, to, to roll right into it if they truly love it is cool, but to maybe go try something else or just get some formal education in the industry somewhere else so they realize, you know, what a great opportunity this is, what we think it is, or just to, the opportunity to, to really like it. The last thing you want to do is roll into it and then feel like you can't do anything oh, else. Of course, or, yeah. The, yeah. The both of you were nine or ten when you started working in the winery yeah we've been doing it forever <laughs> and we both left yeah. and then came back and, and came I, back. I feel like that is good quick That's plug good for cal poly san luis obispo great viticultural program just yes. saying yeah right in your own backyard I literally did. in your own backyard mm-hmm. so it's pretty cool go mustangs all right well listen we have these it's this time in the uh our podcast where we're going to now uh, taste the fruits of your labor, so to speak. I'm very excited about this. Who wants to take me through the wines? Who wants to talk about the first wine here? Well, Robert, what, what have I got here um, in the glass? So, so the, fir- the first one we have is our Especial, okay. um, which is one of the older premium Zins that we've, that we've uh, been making. I don't, I don't know, the first year of it, 1990 maybe? Or, I think 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Um, but this comes from a specific area of, our, um, of one of our states, and it is all in, it's all Ducey clone. Um, so it's, it's one that we were making when we planted the property on Peachy Canyon Road. That was the intent of it going into. Kept, we've kept propagating that clone over to the new property. Yeah. Well, this, uh, I got to tell you, the aroma is jumping out of the glass. Good. It just, that's vibrant, man. I like that you say jump. Yeah, it really is. One. It is jumping yeah. out. We, I recently heard another winemaker talking about how the way he likes to describe wines is when they jump. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, this, I, I haven't even put it in my mouth yet, and it makes me smile. <laughs> Good. You know, just, I just love it, you know, the, uh, the aroma. And 100% juicy? 100% juicy, 100%, uh, 100% Zinfandel. Mm. Wow. That is, you, you know you're drinking Zen, mm. right? It's yeah. fresh. What's the vintage on? 17. So 2017, it's it's fresh, it's lively, it's great. That wonderful blueberry jam just right up front. 
That is. That's fun. Yeah. So, um, you know, you were talking about that, I think a little bit earlier, we were talking about you really wanted people to know that you're drinking wine from a place. Mm-hmm. You want it to be varietally correct. You want to know that they're drinking. So, if I'm drinking Zinfandel from Paso, what is it I'm looking for? What's different about Zinfandel from Paso than, say, Zinfandel from Geyserville or, you know, uh, Dry Creek Valley? I think there tends to be a, a, a little more, a little more fruit forward. I guess is what Paso is known for. But of late, I I don't know. I think people have been refrained enough in making their Zinfandel that it's more site specific. So I don't know if Paso has a. They have a classic old general Zinfandel that people used to think of. I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah, well, I gotta tell you. And then tasting some Lodi wines, I don't know if my idea of what Lodi is true anymore. You know, so I think it's more site specific now. That's interesting. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a Paso wine or a Lodi wine or even a Dry Creek Vineyard wine. It's a site specific. I believe so, yeah. Interesting perspective. Very cool. All right, what's in glass number two? Uh, Glass number two is the the Heritage project, Project we were talking about. So this is what we call our D block. Again, 2017. 2017. Very excited about Eight, this. 18 different clones of Zinfandel going to this. We got a drum roll. Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a little more muted on, on the nose than mm-hmm. than the... Uh, especial. The, yeah, the especial. Especial. You speak Spanish, don't you? Si. Si. Claro. <laughs> and for me on this, I, I think that all those clones give it a complexity that you get that more than you would get off just using... A singular one. It helps fill in those peaks and valleys and kind of makes wow. it wow. a nice, smooth, but long on the palate. Absolutely. Good mid-palate. It's great. That's great the, finish. While the nose is certainly a little more muted than the Especial, I'll tell you, the amazing thing about this wine is with the Especial, you sort of get that big blueberry jam pop up front. This wine fills the entire, the yeah. entire palate, yeah. front to back. And it's just super. I can still taste it. This is yeah, yeah. lingers. Yeah, sure. really lingers. It's juicy, but it has structure. Yeah. And it it has does have structure. Yeah. Actually, I would say it. it uh, the first, well, I would say the special is a little juicier. This one has definitely got structure in terms of, and not one's better than the other. They're both delicious wines. But this one just sort of seems to have more elegance, yeah. for lack of a better more word. More sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's velvety. I feel like putting my pinky yeah. up when I drink. For a zen too. That's right good. for a zen. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact. Uh, so that's really wild. So all now you, now you can see why we took those clones and grew some more somewhere else. Yeah, we're, we're, you're, yeah, we're pretty excited about yeah, it. So the structure is really great. It goes all the way from front mid palate all the way back on the wonderful traditional Zinfandel flavors. Where right? you're still getting a little bit of that blueberry, a little black pepper in there, and I'm really digging the raspberry on the mid palate. That sort of a dark, yeah. dark jammy raspberry. Awesome. Without the seeds. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, well done. I got to say, this is a, a real treat to learn about Zinfandel from Paso, particularly Peachy Canyon. Again, I love being here in San Francisco with you because I'm getting exposed to all sorts of wonderful wines, making new friends. And I think that uh, people who are listening to this, if you see Peachy Canyon, please go out of your way to try it, particularly if do you, is the D block even available? It's, through the tasting room. Direct to consumer. Okay, yeah. DTC, yeah. direct to consumer. Yeah. 
uh, maybe you want to look that up. And then what about the Especial? Especial is also a direct-to-consumer wine. So okay. But I can't, but we do make some that people taste, can buy. Yeah, you can get online. In stores uh, or anything? Or um, is it all DTs? We don't retail very much of it. Okay. Yeah. Not this, but we do have other peachy wines okay. you can find in the broad market. Right. Zins. Of course, but not Especial. All right. But you can find our West Side, which is our flagship, which is a combination of all five of our home ranches. We okay. Because we grow Zinfandel in each of them, we finish them and blend them together and make what we call the West Side, which is our classic blend that my dad started years and years ago of, of Zinfandels. Okay. We sell that nationwide. Uh, our incredible red, also, which is a nice Zinfandel. Incredible red. <laughs> so we do, as, as Robert mentioned, we make nine different Zinfandels. So uh, we have our ones that are, we make available for retail, and then we have also our uh, these uh, what we call our, our legacy. Uh, wines that are available online. And of course, everything can be found at peachycanyon.com. Right. Of course. And I will encourage, if you're listening to the podcast, you find yourself in Paso, whether you say Robles or Robles. Or just Paso. Oh, just Paso. Just <laughs> do me a favor. Stop in and, and meet these guys at Peachy Canyon. They're they're delightful, and I think you'd be uh, well served by trying their wines. So thank you all very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week segments every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. <laughs>